Lord, protect me today. Let me be an example. Let me be a leader. Bless me with your righteousness. Let them see you in me. God, I need you right now. Help me out of this mess. Help me take a stand against the devil. Help me stand my ground. Please lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from this evil. I could have died. Thank you for watching out for me. My life is in your hands. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, your word says, I can have whatever I pray in your name. Your word says, the power that raised you from the dead lives in me. Heal me, God. Save me from the grip of death. I have faith that your mighty hand can move this mountain. Your servant is ready for battle. With Christ, we have the victory. All right, good morning, Liquid Church. Great to see you guys. I'm Pastor Tim. I want to welcome you to week one of our new series, SWAT, which stands for Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. Hey, let's give a big welcome to all our campuses joining us around New Jersey. Great to see you guys. Glad you're here. Yeah, awesome. Hey, now, if you're in Parsippany, you may be wondering, well, what is with the big screen? This Sunday, uh, at all six Liquid campuses across North and Central Jersey, You'll be receiving a video broadcast of today's sermon on the big screen. You may be like, well, why is that? Where's Pastor Tim? Right now, I'm down in South Jersey preaching live at Gloucester County Community Church. It's a wonderful church about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia in Gloucester County, New Jersey. And this fall, our two churches, Liquid and Gloucester County, we're joining forces for six weeks to do this SWAT spiritual warfare series Together, So don't freak out. I will be back in Parsippany next Sunday, preaching live next weekend. But today, let's just give a big welcome to all our friends and family in South Jersey, in Gloucester County. Really exciting to see our ministries join forces to saturate our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're new, you need to know what you've walked into. Um, SWAT is a six-week small groups experience, and we're kicking it off at all liquid campuses today. Last week was group Sunday. And here's something to celebrate. Check this out. This is pretty amazing. Last Sunday at all our campuses, we had over 820 new people signed up to get in a small group. That's amazing. That's worth celebrating. Uh, you need to know if you're new, small groups, that's the heartbeat of our church. It's how we make a big church feel small. It's where you find friends, where you meet during the week for Bible study, prayer, you share meals, you grow deeper in Christ together. So every Sunday, I'm going to be preaching line by line through Ephesians 6, which is that famous passage about the armor of God. And then in your small group, you're going to dive deeper into Scripture. You're going to actually put into practice what we've been learning, okay? Um, this is so important. And most groups begin meeting this week. Some of you started last week. But just make sure you attend yours if you signed up. And if you haven't, it is not too late. There's still time to find your age and stage of life. After today's service, just ask one of your campus leaders, and we will get you plugged in. 
Well, I want to begin by reading this famous scripture from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. That's where Ephesians comes from. Ephesus was a city in what's now known as modern-day Turkey. So we're going to read scripture out loud. I want you to sit up straight. Everyone sit up straight. All right, big breath. Fill your lungs with air. Fill your heart with hope. Let's read God's word out loud. Here we go, church. Ready? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Last week we learned this was Paul's battle cry for believers. He's kind of waking Christians up to this sober reality that the Christian life is not a playground. Instead, it is a what? A battleground all day every day whether you know it or not invisible enemy is raging and prowling around you you may not see him in the physical realm but God says actually in the spiritual realm it is very real there is a cunning enemy of your soul uh, who the Bible calls Satan or the devil and his desire is this to wreak havoc on your life on everyone and everything that matters to you on your mind on your emotions your family your faith your future. Because as a Christian, that means you're a believer. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it means you're in the crosshairs of an ancient enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But don't freak out. Last week we learned that Satan is God's enemy, but he ain't his equal. Amen? When Jesus gave his life on the cross in your place, the Bible tells us he actually defeated Satan, sin, and death once and for all. So understand, Satan is a defeated enemy, but he still seeks to harass. He intimidates. He bullies believers, which is why God gives us a gift. That is his own weapons. It's called the armor of God. Over here, Rick. At the time, Paul's writing these words. He's sitting at a desk under house arrest. His feet are in shackles. He's sitting at a desk writing this letter to the Ephesians. And standing next to him in that room was a Roman guard. One of Caesar's very own soldiers who wore battle armor, very similar to this replica we have on stage. All Roman soldiers wore one of these helmets with the side flaps and the bristly, uh, you know, top on it. They wore a, a breastplate. You see the abs of steel here, right? Thank you. I, I molded them from my own. It's incredible. I love the touch. Uh, they would wield a, a shield to fend off enemy attack. And of course, he always carried a gladius which was a short Roman sword to slice the air or take on all attackers. And these are the weapons the Apostle Paul literally was looking at. He had this in his mind's eye when he wrote these words. He said, Christians, stand firm then with the what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the what? shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, there are six powerful pieces of armor in every Christian's arsenal. God has given you a gift to defeat your enemy and actually declare victory in Jesus' name. Amen? Christians there live a victorious life. But how do you use each one? Because you get it. I mean, each one of these is a symbol, right? But you can't, like, you know, 
walk into work tomorrow with a sword, you're going to be on CNN in the jail, okay? You can't walk through TSA with one of these things. How, how do you put on the breastplate of righteousness when you go to work tomorrow? What, what does that look like in your nine-to-five job? How do you wield a shield if you're a teenager or you're a 20-something and you go to a party and everybody is drinking, everybody is jeweling, everybody's hooking up? How do you wield the shield of faith and not compromise? How, how, do you, how do you stand firm when you get a diagnosis from the doctor that is very discouraging and, and, and disturbing? How do you actually fight back in faith and stand strong? Well, today I want to look at the first piece of armor that Paul spotlights here in Ephesians 6. He says, stand firm, and he doesn't start with a sword. He says, stand firm with the what? Say it together, church. Belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, let me tell you what Paul had in mind when he said belt of truth. Because you might think, well, that's kind of a weird place to start. A belt does not seem like it's essential to warfare exactly. I mean, isn't kind of a belt like just a, a fash, fashion accessory, you know? Like, I got this from Target. You like it? You know? That's because you're a modern person. Do not picture in your head some skinny little designer belt from TJ Maxx, okay? See, in the first century, under all of this armor, a Roman soldier wore a belt that looked more like this. It was a super thick leather belt that looked like a weightlifting belt. It was thick. It was heavy. It was actually covered in buckles uh, uh, to, to keep it firm. Why? Because the belt was the first piece of equipment a soldier put on every morning. It held all of the other equipment in place. This stuff weighed over 75 pounds. And so a Roman soldier, before he did anything else, he strapped on his belt, he buckled it up, he locked it in place, and from there, he would hang his breastplate. He would hang his sword. He'd attach his other equipment. But this was the stabilizer. So understand, the belt Paul's talking about here is not some, like, little designer accessory. Like, what a cute belt that is. Is that faux crocodile? This was a combat harness that held up the rest of the armor. Have you ever seen the, like, those big lumbar belts that like UPS workers wear, right, when they're like lifting heavy packages like that? Uh, they have those like lumbar braces for back support to protect your core. It's almost like a manly girdle. I want you, those of you who are hard to exercise, I want you to envision like a CrossFit belt, right? That's the belt of truth that Paul had in his mind's eye when he wrote these words. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled where? Around your waist. And Paul points to this belt and says, this represents something, a virtue, one of God's own character, the integrity of God. He says, this represents God's foundation of truth. And the symbolism would have been very clear to Christians. That in any battle, God's truth is your core support. How is your core, by the way? Those of you who are into exercise, you guys know what's the most uh, critical muscle group in the body? It's not your legs. It's actually not your arms, even though guys they like to jack up their guns. They say, if you want to really be fit, you have to test somebody's what? Their core. It's actually this area that's right around your abs and your trunk. It connects your top and bottom groups of muscles. The core is what gives you balance in life. The core is what gives you stability under pressure. It's where the full body strength comes from. And the truth is this, older people, as you get older, okay, if you have a weak core... It could mean the difference between actually walking strong in later life or sitting in a wheelchair. Paul said God's truth is your core support. Everything else in your life hangs on this. 
And again, that armor weighed 70 pounds. But without the belt of truth, guess what? It all fell to the floor. You get Paul's point? He says, if you lack a set of core convictions, you will not stand firm in a culture of compromise. I mean, let's be honest. It's not popular to say, but our culture today doesn't like to take a firm stand on truth with a capital T. In fact, when it comes to like absolute truth and moral convictions, our culture is not firm. It is not strong. It is flabby and weak. But Paul says, if you're going to actually live counterculture and stand your ground and survive the enemy's attack, you need a set of belief anchored in the truth of God. Why? Because your enemy deals in deception. Big idea number one, if you're taking notes in our mobile app. The devil deals in deception. It is the number one hallmark that is the enemy attacking you. His number one strategy or scheme. Remember, we learned last week that the devil isn't passive. He actually is personal. He studies you. He looks at you. He probes for weaknesses in your armor. Where, where can I get Greg's flesh to act out a little bit? Where's Karen's vulnerable? Where can I trip him up or tempt her to compromise? And the number one way he does that is by shading the truth, weaving illusions, whispering lies. Jesus said, I actually, he actually gave him this name. He said, I, I called Satan the father of lies. Think of it this way. Satan is the master illusionist. And he is better than Harry Houdini or David Copperfield. In fact, kind of interesting, last summer our family, we took this uh, RV trip out west and we swung through Las Vegas. And a friend of our family got us tickets to see David Copperfield. Greatest illusionist of uh, certainly our generation. That's actually him. It looks like a wax dunny, but we got to meet him after the show. And I went in and I thought, well, the kids will like this. I'm not into really magic and all that stuff. And I was kind of cynical. I thought, okay, he's an illusionist. So he's going to do like a few card tricks, you know, or a little sleight of hand. Or maybe like doves, woo, kind of thing, you know. I was blown away by his show. By just the grandeur and the scale of his illusions. All show, he's doing all these amazing things, cars appearing on stage. And at the very end, he says, you know, I see something out of this world. And literally, he goes like this, and a 40-foot flying saucer, 40 feet wide, materialized out of nowhere on stage and zoomed right over the audience's head. I'm like, what the? This is the devil, man. This is like this 3D UFO with flashing lights. And then it vanished. To this day, I still have no idea how he did this. Copperfield is a master illusionist, and so is Satan. What is an illusion? An illusion is getting you to believe that something is real even when it's fake or misleading reality. It's the, the bait and switch. It's the kind of sleight of hand. It's pulling the wool over your eyes. The devil deals in deception. He is so cunning, he's so sinister, you often don't even realize you're being deceived. He, he, the devil is the one who tries to convince you, you know what, you're the exception to the rule. Uh, he's the one who tempts you to think, well, God doesn't mean exactly what he said. You can kind of fudge that a little bit. He's the one who whispers, you know what, you're not really who the Bible says you are. I know the Bible says you're loved and you're chosen, you're forgiven and you're empowered and, and, and adopted. No, no, no. You're all alone. You are abandoned. You are weak. You are filthy. You are powerless. Satan is the master illusionist. He can twist reality and distort your perspective and get you to think. He can actually get you to look at the unhealthy relationship that you're in. That is abusive and it's codependent and convince you it's somehow beautiful. And it's essential for your life. And you die without it. 
He, he will cause you to think that, that that hidden habit of yours, you know, just the occasional porn, uh, the, the alcohol, the painkillers, the liquid marijuana, it's harmless. He says, what's the big deal? It's a harmless habit. Everybody does it. While in reality, it's actually eating away like a cancer at your very soul and will enslave you. He's the one who'll make you think that business partnership you're about to form. I mean, it seems so lucrative. It seems so innocent. It seems so promising like your life will flourish when in reality, it may be the most toxic partnership you could ever make. He will make you think that those little white lies you tell, well, they're not lies. They're, they're spin, right? They're exaggerations. Everybody tells those guys. Guys, wake up to the truth. Jesus says Satan is the father of lies and he shades the truth. He twists reality so that you get this kind of warped perspective and believe things are true when they're really not. I mean, we all have met people, right? We all know people who we can see that they're being deceived, but they can't see it themselves. You ever have people like that in your life? Like you see them headed down this path and you're like, this is not going to end well. And you're trying so badly you want to get their attention, wake them up to reality and say, this is going to be very, very painful. But they just can't see clearly the choice that they're making is going to end with heartache. It's like that TV show, um, What Not to Wear. You guys remember that show uh, on cable, What Not to Wear? Premise is, some of you should be on it. Premise is simple. <laughs> Um, it's a great show. People turn in their worst-dressed friend to the show. And these are people who have, like, no fashion sense. Pastor Jason, uh, nada. They, they, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They, they, they think they look good, right? When in reality, they have no sweet clue how terrible they dress. They, and so the host stands them in front of a mirror, and they, and, and they go, so what do you think? And they're like, killing it, you know? Camo shorts and a jacket. While the rest of America, my wife was just watching the show, and I'd be like, you got to be kidding me. This guy, can't, this guy went out in public like this? She looked in the mirror this morning and didn't see how crazy and disheveled. They look like a hobo. So the hosts of What Not to Wear, here's what they do. Watch this. They surround them with mirrors. They surround the person with mirrors from every angle so they can see themselves. And they say, what do you see? And typically a person goes, um, killing it. <laughs> They can't actually see what's wrong. From their perspective, it's fabulous. See, guys, the enemy's number one trick is to deceive you into thinking you're walking in the truth when in reality you are strolling into destruction. And because the devil is deceitful, and we're so easily, at least I am, self-deceived by my own desires and feelings and my own blind spots, here's what you need. You actually need an objective standard of unchanging truth and beauty that is outside of yourself. To, to give you a actually clear, reality-based perspective of what's happening in your life, that's what the Word of God is. That's what the Bible is. It's why we come every Sunday and I preach from the Bible. This church is Bible-based. It's because the Bible is God's plumb line for what's right and real in a world that's been warped by sin and Satan. Think of it this way. The, I remember that song, you know, the B-I-B-L-E. You know what the Bible stands for? This is basic instructions before leaving earth. So you can't just trust your five senses or your intelligence. What, what your eyes see, what your ears hear, what your feelings feel. Some of you are, are feelers. The illusion is too powerful. You have to have something that exists outside yourself by which you can test the truth of every decision. 
every opportunity that's being presented to you, the path your friend is suggesting, you've got to have something reliable to run it past. And what is the truth according to the Bible? Let me give you a definition. The truth is God's opinion on any matter. Can we say this together? The truth is God's opinion on any matter. Not your opinion. Not my opinion. Not the opinion of CNN. Not even the opinion of Fox News. The truth is only and always God's opinion on any and every matter, period. See, you guys, we live in a world where truth is relative. Not relevant. It's relative. It means more and more people believe there's no such thing as actually absolute truth. I mean, like, truth is not a fixed moral point. It changes. It's, it's, it's based on your perception, the way you see it, Janet's political perspective, or Steve's cultural lens. If it works for him, it must be true. In fact, I came across a recent study by the Barna Research Group. It's a pretty eye-opening statistics, particularly with the next generation when it comes to millennials, those of you born between 1984 and 2002. I would say raise your hand, but you're probably on your phone right now. Uh, the younger generation coming up, among millennials, listen to this, this is very little shocking. Among millennials, 4% of millennials hold to a biblical worldview. What that means is 96% of the next generation does not believe in absolute moral truth anymore. Four out of five young adults are actually unsure of their eternal destiny. They have no actual core convictions to questions like whether or not there even is a God, or whether Jesus is his son, or is there life after death. I, again, guys, just hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not trying to kick millennials. They actually embrace extraordinary values like compassion and generosity and serving others, but generally view absolute truth as relative. It's just subject to your perspective, your lens. You know what? That's true of the broader culture. Have you noticed this? As Americans, there are three lies that we love. <laughs> three lies that we love to believe. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. Everybody has their own truth. Everyone's got their own perspective or opinion. They, they, you got the way that you see it the way I see it. And it's probably based on your education or, or what the culture thinks or what... And, and the enemy, watch this, wants you to trust your intellect and your education. You know best because you have the degrees on the wall. And get you thinking, you're the smart one in the room. You're the exception to the rule. You have a high IQ. Or maybe you have a high EQ. You have emotional intelligence. You, you base the truth on your feelings because you're like, hey, Tim, for most of my life... Like, I feel it in my heart. My, my feelings have led me well, so I'm going to trust my feelings. Listen, listen to me. Just because something feels like it's true doesn't mean it's true. If the enemy can get you to trust your feelings, he has you in the palm of his hand. Because newsflash, feelings don't have a brain. <laughs> They're not smart. They're just feels, okay? So if you're like me, let me tell you, I'll just tell you my own life. My feelings, especially in my 20s, often led me down a path of heartache. I just made the stupidest choices because, oh, just follow where my heart leads that I've later regretted. Now, this is another lie I hear all the time. Our culture loves to say this. This is so profound. Ready? You do you. You've heard that one, right? That's what our culture says right now. You do you, man. I mean, it sounds extremely like open-minded. Find whatever works for you and just go with it. Whatever makes you happy. Because if it makes you happy, it can't be bad. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. Guess what? Wrong! <laughs> if you base your life on what makes you happy, you will always choose the path of least resistance. You will always choose what is most convenient, what is easiest, what your friends tell you, what your crowd wants, what your flesh wants, and what the culture celebrates. 
It's like music and entertainment. It's like, it's like Satan's PR machine. You will never be happy because the goalposts are always changing. You have to have something solid and stable, a core set of convictions to base your life on. And it might as well come from the creator and get his eternal opinion on earthly issues. Guys, these are the lies that the enemy spins. They're, they're, they are like concrete in our culture, and we just love to swallow them. Last lie. I hear this all the time. That's great that you're a pastor, but, you know, I believe all road, roads lead to God, right? Like, why are Christians so narrow-minded? <laughs> why you got to be like that? Why you be haters? <laughs> I mean, I, I love your passion about the Bible, Tim, but let's be honest. The Bible's an ancient document written by bigoted first-century men, <laughs> And if that works for you, fine. But honestly, I believe in a, a wide road that, that all paths eventually lead to heaven. I, I think people call God just by different names, you know? Vishnu and Allah. You call him Jesus, whatever, bro. Sounds tolerant. Sounds open-minded. There's just one problem. It ain't the truth. It, by definition, something to be true, it actually means something has to be false. If you believe in everything, you believe in nothing. In John 14, Jesus declared, he said this, I am the way, and I am what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Turns out, contrary to cultural belief, the truth is a person. The truth has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ speaks for himself. He says, I'm sorry, but the path to heaven ain't based on your personal beliefs. It's based on my blood. Did you see my sacrifice on that cross? That was for your sins. That was for your blindness, for your lies, your self-deception. Truth isn't based on feelings. It requires tremendous humility to acknowledge the truth. It's not arrogance. It's humility. It's, it's saying it's not based on my beliefs. It's not based on my politics. It's the truth as a person. The culture says there's many, many ways to God, but Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm the way, and I am the truth. And nobody gets to the Father except through me you got to understand, guys, that is an absolute truth claim. It's made by Jesus. It is in the word of God, and here's the deal. Every man and every woman, you have to decide for yourself. Do I accept that or reject it? Is Jesus telling the truth or is he a liar? See, guys, the Bible is God's plumb line for reality. You see, that's why Paul says the very first thing a Christian has to do every day is she has to put on the belt of truth. You have to have an unmovable set of core convictions about Jesus, God, reality in this world, on which you actually base your values and your choices. Are they based on the firm foundation of God's unchanging word or just kind of the shifting sands of culture? I mean, I'm not trying to get in your face today because I've compromised myself, but so many Christians waffle on this like when it comes to clear convictions on right living and gone ordering choices it's like we we go to waffle house man we pour on the syrup we waffle we waver we cave and we compromise and satan knows it and you know what he will do he will send into your life a person who backs up your your choices who seems so good they have so much to offer they seem like a good influence i mean they're not right on with the jesus thing they're a little bit off and guess what they may be a good influence but they're not a God influence. Big difference. So in any relationship that you have, any opportunity that comes your way, you have, look, look, look. it's like this. It's like running, it's like running it over one of those, those blue lights to see is this thing false or true. You got to run that person, run that situation, run that decision under the light of God's word to authenticate. Is this reality or just the devil in disguise? 
Because God's truth is your core support. It gives you the muscle, the backbone in a world full of fakes, full of good ideas that ain't God ideas. Charles Spurgeon, old school preacher, had a famous prayer I love. He looked at the world around him and he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, help me tell the difference, not just between right and wrong, that's easy, but between right and almost right. Guys, that is the discernment we all need in a world of cultural chaos, warped by sin. Paul says, strap it on, man up, put on the belt of truth. But how do you do that practically? (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Because some of you are like, this is very interesting first century information, but bro, it's 2018. How do you practically put on the belt of truth Monday morning and work where I do? Well, I want to demonstrate this for you, so I'm going to call out my assistant. Would you welcome Pastor Niffin to the stage? Come on out, Niffin. What's up, guys? How are you? Awesome, brother. Come on out. Just got back from what not to wear. <laughs> from what not to wear. Yeah. Or a uh, Star Wars convention. Exactly. Very cool. what, what is this? What are you Dude, wearing this here? this is my tunic. It's worn by men to this day all over the world. In fact, you know, when I was in India as a kid, I'd see all these men wearing dresses. And I was like, well, what's going on here? But they were called... Lungies, and there are these like tunic type things. Lungies or lugies? What? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying lungies. to be like culturally okay. insensitive. I'm, I'm, I'll teach you. I'll teach okay. you. Lungi. <laughs> all right. A tunic is probably the easiest way yes. to say it. Um, this is actually what all Romans and what Jewish men wore in the first century. You can see it's kind of like a, a long flowing robe you want to kind of model for people. Very comfy, very breezy in the Middle East. But this is what men, if you went to Ephesus, which, P.S., by the way, it wasn't like some like, little cobblestone village. Ephesus was like the Big Apple. It was like a metropolis, a big city. And if you went down city streets, you would see men strolling around in their tunics. This was for people who didn't have like hard labor. They didn't have to run. You could walk around and find. But here's the problem. If you wore a tunic and you're a man and you were attacked or you need to like move quickly forward or <laughs> thank you. Or if you had to start running. Can you do a little? Okay. Actually, <laughs> that's like a jig. I mean running. You can kind of see it's restrictive, right? It would actually trip you up. A tunic you would trip on and fall. And so what the men did in Ephesus is they would tie a fabric belt around their waist. It was like a girdle or a sash. And watch this. As they cinched that belt around their waist, if they were attacked or if they just need freedom to move quickly, they would actually tuck up their tunic into their girdle. It was called girding yourself. They actually called it girding your loins. That's the literal phrase that Paul uses here in Ephesians 6. Now, our modern translation, right, it says like, you know, buckle the belt of truth around your waist. But the original translation says this, gird up your loins with truth. I love that. Gird up your loins. So manly, right? It's basically, as Paul's saying, man up, bro, because you're about to throw down. And so when Jewish men went into battle against the Philistines, they'd tuck up their tunic into their belt, keep it off the ground, and it basically created a pair of shorts that gave them freedom to wage war. You get, dude, you need like a weapon. Here you go. Oh, yeah, totally. Ready? Here you go, buddy. Woo! Oh, good times. Come on. Look at this guy. Let's do this. So it's, that's good, man. <laughs> so if someone said, gird your loins, it meant get ready for a fight. And this is kind of fun. We're researching this this week, and on our mobile app, we actually came across on the website The Art of Manliness, the step-by-step diagram for men of how to gird up your loins. We put this in your message notes on the Liquid Church mobile app. You can download it, guys. So, so when you know, got to gird your loins. This is how it's done, okay? You are welcome. Now, 
What, what is the practical, come on in here, practical application. You see this, right? The, the, the belt, right, he said, represents the truth of God's word. So when Paul says, gird your loins with truth, he says, when you actually gird yourself with God's truth, watch this, it gives you more freedom. In other words, there is, you're restricting yourself a little bit, but there is actually freedom in restriction. When you restrict your life, under the truth of God's word, it actually gives you room so you have more freedom than the average person. Isn't that interesting? Restricting yourself with the truth of God gives more freedom in life. And guys, this is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Nithin, can we just kind of untuck this so we can just demonstrate a little bit? I want to show you. What does this look like in real life? Practically speaking, here it is. Ready? Here's what it looks like, okay? You take... Whatever decision is coming at you, okay? Let's say this week you got big decisions. You don't know. Like, is it, okay, here it is. Is this God's will or is it the enemy's deception? I don't know if I should move to another part of town, another state, or do I take this job? Or, or do I date this, this guy? He's cute, you know, or this girl. Should I marry her? Do I stay at this church? Do I move to another one? What happens is when you gird yourself, so you take every single choice and you tuck it under the authority of God's truth. You actually open the Bible. He says, what does God say? God, confirm that to me by your Holy Spirit. And so you gather up your desires. You gather up your feelings. You gather up your preferences, what I want to think and do. And you submit it to the truth of God. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what girding your loins meant. That's what Paul has in his mind. That's what you and I need to do on Monday morning. Can we thank Nithin, by the way? Great job, bro. That was a little curtsy. <laughs> What's this practically mean if you're single? Uh, single folks, it means if you want to date that guy and that girl, and, and, and he seems, you know, so handsome and she's so cute, they're amazing. I think that's who I want to be with. They're amazing in every single way except for one, they're not a Christian. But because you are, you tuck up that desire under God's truth, which says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because I don't want you to have any fun. And I want you to be bigoted and narrow-minded and judgmental. That's not why. It says no matter. God's saying, I'm trying to save you heart. I'm trying to lead you out into a free, beautiful, spacious life. And I understand it seems appealing on the surface. I understand you feel a connection. But when you, if you're a girl who girds yourself in truth, you won't be deceived by the enemy. You'll tuck it away and submit to the truth of God's word. That's how practical this is. If you're a businessman or you're facing a career decision, let's say there's a job opportunity before you this fall, right? You're like, offer this job opportunity. And you're like, man, this is sweet. <laughs> but the only reason, if you're honest, that you want the job is because it pays a lot of money. Like seriously, like the only reason you'd take is like for the money and the benefits. Nothing wrong, by the way, with money or benefits. But this job's all about the money. <laughs> and then in your personal devotions, in the morning you open up the truth of God, the word of God, and you come across a verse that just kind of, leaps off the page at you and it speaks to you. And you read, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know when you come across a verse that it's like the Holy Spirit, like, boo, just like spotlights. And it like just, just grabs your spirit and it grips your heart. And like the, the hairs on your neck stand up a little because you're like, this is a word from God just for me. This is his truth. In a pivotal situation, what do you do? You gird up that desire. You tuck it under the truth of God's word in your life. You guys get it? That's what it means. 
Guys, God's word is so practical. It contains all the instructions, the answers you need for modern life. It does not address every single perfect situation. It says this is exactly what you do. But his Holy Spirit will speak to you. It's the word of God coming out of his mouth. It will change your life. Guys, this happened to me last Tuesday. God literally convicted me, <laughs> your pastor, of his truth from Ephesians of all places. I was reading through Ephesians, just prepping for this series, you know, my daily devotions. And I read this verse. I've heard it before, but listen to this. It struck me in the face. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And I was like, well, I don't have a potty mouth, you know, I don't really, you know. But then I read the rest. But only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of a conversation the day before. Uh, I was meeting that Monday with some friends, and I had made some pretty snarky comments some pretty critical comments about somebody who wasn't in the room. It wasn't Pastor Nithin. It, <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't it wasn't like a big deal. And I was just a little frustrated. I was like overtired. I had it in my coffee, you know. And it was just a couple of close friends. And I was like, you know, I can't believe they did this. Then they said that. And this is going to... And see, in my flesh, I would have just rationalized that. I would have said, you know, I'm just blown off steam. That's just human. But I'm reading this. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out. It only builds others up. doesn't tear them down. And I realized, that's sin. That's actually using my words, my tongue, proclaiming to you God's truth. And then behind the scenes, I tear someone down? That's called hypocrisy. In other words, my words fell short of God's word. And his truth convicted me. And his spirit confirmed it. And so I went back to those people on Tuesday. And I actually just, I repented. I said, guys, I just, I need to go back yesterday. I just want to say I'm sorry. I was so critical yesterday. I, sh I should not have said those things, and I'm sorry. I, I want my tongue to build other people up, not tear them down. To point out the good, not their flaws. And I prayed. I told God I was sorry. This is called repentance, by the way. It should be daily for you. And I recommitted my words to only speaking what will build others up according to their needs, not Tim's needs. That would benefit the people who listen to me. Do you understand how practical God's word is? There is freedom in restriction. You trust people when you know there's a governor called the Holy Spirit over their life. So let me challenge you for the next six weeks. Read through the book of Ephesians. There are six chapters. It means you can read a chapter every week. Start soaking in the truth of God. It will renew your mind. It will transform your life. I promise you, the Holy Spirit will actually speak to you. He will gently convict you. He will show you the right way to walk and lead you into an eternal kind of life. A life that is based in truth and beauty and goodness. And you walk in his truth and forgiveness and freedom. Can I just tell you, this, is, this isn't just like, like for some of you, this is a fork in the road. Because my sense is, just like we had in the spring, this fall, God is preparing to move some of you up to a new level in your life, a new season in your life. You may be getting ready in your life to step out in faith in, in some relationship or step into or out of a relationship or, or, or this new season in your work, in your job, your career, or your family. Or maybe God's just getting ready, you ready for a battle that is coming. You don't even know it yet. But what I found is before that happens, before God takes you to that next level, he will often first ask you to Gird your loins with the truth of God. Would you be willing, 
emotionally intelligent person to gird your feelings under the truth of God? Would you be willing, a person who struggles with sexual desire and it's out of control and the, the world says indulge it, would you be willing to gird your fleshly desires under the truth of God? Before you move up to the next level, God will often tell you, I want you to tuck that habit. I want you to tuck that bad attitude. I want you to tuck that bitterness of heart into the truth that I'm speaking to you. And only then will you be free to follow me without restriction. And you will know the truth. And watch, the truth will set you free. Amen? Well, before I pray, I want to give you a chance right now to respond to God's truth. You know, I, on Sundays in this church, we're blessed. Not everybody's a Christian. People invite their friends, their Jedi Knight nerd friends, and <laughs> their neighbors. And, and I don't assume everybody here is a Christian or personally knows Jesus and, and has asked him to be their Lord and Savior. How, but, but, but today, I've been telling you about how you're saved from sin, how you could actually have the hope of heaven, a permanent, eternal relationship with God. And so I want to close by personally inviting you to experience the truth that sets you free. His truth is a name. His name is Jesus. And becoming a follower of Jesus or a, a Christian is what we call salvation. And being saved is as simple as A, B, and C. It's how you respond to the sin in your life that separates you from God. Here's what the Bible says about salvation. It's as simple as the alphabet, A, B, C. It begins with A. Salvation begins with admitting the truth about yourself to God. He already knows but it's admitting that you're a sinner. And I realize sin is not a popular word in our culture. It's reality, though, in our broken world. God created you and me for perfection, and we've all fallen short of his glory, me included. We are part of the problem. The Bible says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So salvation begins with A, admitting the truth about yourself, and then B, believing the truth about Jesus, that on the cross, God, out of his great love for you, dealt decisively with sin. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die in your place as a sacrifice for your sin. Remember, the truth is a person. Jesus says, I will forgive, I will save anyone if you put your faith in me, my death and resurrection. Ephesians 2 says this, because of his great anger at us, no, because of his Great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins, it's by his grace you've been saved. You get it? It's not by your works. It's not how good a person you are. It is by his lavish love called grace. And then B, believe and C, commit to follow him with your whole heart. This is not a one-time decision I'm asking for. I'm asking for a whole heart commitment. Where you believe today is the day you're going to tell God, I'm going to live the rest of my life under your authority. I believe, Jesus, you were raised back to life, and I want you to live your life through mine. Guess what? He will put his spirit in you and give you new power to live for him. Not a perfect life, but with God's power, not yours. You're going to have to let go of some things, repentance, but you're not going to be alone. you got a community, a room full of broken people who are also following Jesus. And I want to add A, B, C. I want to add a D. Here it is. Ready? Do it today, because tomorrow isn't promised. At the end of the day, when your time comes and you stand before God, waiting to get into heaven, he will not ask, so were you a good person? He will not say, so uh, what was your stance on the uh, Supreme Court and the social issues? He will not say, uh, so let me just see your voter registration. He will ask a simple question. What did you do with my son, Jesus? 
Did you believe that he is the only way and the only truth and the only life? If so, enter into my heaven. If not, I never knew you. Friends, if you're here today, you've heard God's truth and it's touched your heart and he's con convicted you of that need to be saved. Do it today because tomorrow isn't promised. So right now, I want to lead all of our campuses in a prayer of salvation. Would you just bow your heads right now? This is how you become a, a born-again Christian if you've never personally asked Christ to be your Savior, to enter your heart. And you're like, I want to leave here knowing my sins are forgiven. I want the guarantee of heaven when I die. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. You can pray it out loud. These are not magic words. You can just speak them from your heart. But I'll pray these words, and then you repeat them after me. In fact, Liquid Church, let's all pray these words out loud. One big, loud voice so that nobody feels left out. Would you pray with me? Here we go. Ready? Say, Father in heaven, I admit I'm a sinner. Today I've seen your truth. I admit I fall short. But I believe you love me. Jesus, I believe you died for me. In my place for my sin forgive my sins Lord I turn from them now today I give you my life I commit to follow you help me walk in your truth I want to walk in freedom today I become your child in Jesus name Amen if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, we believe that by faith the word of God says you've crossed from death into life. Can we welcome new believers into the family of God? Praise God for you guys.